Good morning. We're glad you could be here with us this Labor Day weekend. Um, I was actually told that this is like the busiest traveling weekend of the summer. So glad you're here. If you're not here with us, um, hopefully you'll have a safe trip, uh, wherever you may be. But today we start off a fall sermon series called 12 Prophets. And we'll delve into 12 minor prophets. Uh, and these 12, we call them minor prophets, are not minor prophets because they're not as important as these major prophets that you know of. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. It's not because they are more important than them. It's just because they're shorter books. Right? That's why they call it minor prophets. But they are just as important in the lives of the Israelites as we will see. And not only so, I believe uh, these 12 prophets that are often understudied, under-recognized. Often we do Bible reading and we're like, all right, time to skip the New Testament when we get here, right? Uh, we stop and we pause, we listen to them because I believe God has a lot to teach us through these minor prophets, especially in the season that we're in right now. And today, we begin our study with the first minor prophet, Hosea. And I often call Hosea the love prophet. The love prophet. And why is Hosea the love prophet? Well, we found out in a little bit. We just read it too. But prophet Hosea not only preached on love, in, case, in this case, to illustrate the love for the nation of Israel, but he also lived his life showing us what that looks like. He's the classic example of not only he talked the talk, but he walked the walk, right? He not only showed radical, drastic way of commitment, a sacrifice and love, but he backed it up by showing it, being committed to it, and showing it through his life for us to deliver the ultimate love message of God to his people. One of the most well-known and beloved story of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is that of the prodigal son. It is a story of two sons, one who abandons father's love and the older son who disregards father's love. Above all, in the story of prodigal son, we see father's unrelenting love highlighted by him running after these sons. When we come to Hosea, I see the Old Testament version of the prodigal story. A story that is filled with drastic twists and turns. It's a story filled with heart-wrenching act of love, yet it is filled with so much hope in the midst of it all. And as we turn to this story in a little bit, when we talk about unfaithfulness in marriage, we talk about prostitution, abuse. It can be triggering for a lot of us as we sit and listen to this. I also recognize that situations can be nuanced in some circumstances, and there are a lot of depth to a lot of stories of marital unfaithfulness as well as abuse. But as we talk about, as we talked about in the parables, I want to invite us to see the main point of the story more than anything else. Because Hosea's story, as we will soon uncover, is a story that points us ultimately towards um, God's love. It is a story of our unfaithfulness to God, illustrated by unfaithfulness in marriage and in the act of prostitution. But ultimately, this story points us to the heart of God who chases after the prodigal. Hence, the title of the message is The Prodigal. And this is not just a distant story in the Old Testament, but this is our story. Our story that illustrates our relationship with God oftentimes. And as any good story is told, 
and I'm sure the children here as well as the youth know this too, the story is told with the beginning, the middle, and the end. And the beginning of this story begins with the impossible command the Hosea receives. Hosea chapter 1-1 begins like this. The Lord gave the message to Hosea, the son of Beri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah were the kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was a king of Israel. We see from the early onset, Hosea is a prophet. Prophet, according to the Bible, is a spokesperson of God who was to deliver the word of God to his people who often uh, were in active rebellion against God. A disobedience was rampant. And as soon as you'll find out, not everyone is called to be a prophet. And in fact, you don't actually want to be, to be a called to be a prophet because not only you have to deliver God's word, but oftentimes the prophet had to demonstrate with his life what it means for you to live as a prophet. And we'll find out through the 12 prophets, if you ever wanted to be a prophet, you probably don't want to be a prophet after that because it's, it's a hard job. The setting where Hosea worked was a city of Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel when Israel divided in two. And this was a place where often God was not obeyed. The time was the 30 years before leading up to the eventual destruction of Israel at the hands of Assyrians because of the disobedience that God has warned them time and time and again. That if you are unfaithful, then I'll take you on an exile to show you what that looks like. And this Hosea is at the tip of what it means to talk about that warning, but also hope you find in the midst of it all. And the task Hosea was given was not only to deliver, but to demonstrate this love of God to the disobedient people. And how was God going to communicate that? Not only delivering the word, but showing it through Hosea's life. In verse 2, it says, The Lord, imagine that, you're Hosea, right? Like, yes, Lord, what shall I tell God's people this morning? The Lord first began speaking to Israel, it says in verse 2, through Hosea. He said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. This wasn't just any arranged marriage, church. Hosea is told to marry someone whose reputation and lifestyle is that of a prostitute, who is known to sleep around, who is known to not faithful in a relationship context, you see, this marriage that God calls Hosea to go into was a doomed marriage from the beginning. Hosea knows this as God tells Hosea from the get-go, Gomer will be unfaithful, which will illustrate Israel's unfaithfulness. You see, Hosea, God's prophet, obeys God's command. And if Hosea did not know who Gomer was going to be, he would have surely found out as the days passed in their marriage, as he got to know her. When the Bible describes Gomer as a prostitute, it not only means that she slept around before marriage, she's unfaithful in marriage again and again and again after the marriage vow has been taken, threatening the marriage union. But Hosea is to continue in their marriage, and eventually a child is born to them. And perhaps, just perhaps, Hosea is thinking, well, we have a child now. There's light at the end of the tunnel. But it is just the beginning of the story, isn't it? And when the Bible says the children are conceived in prostitution, it means just that. We do not know 
who, who these children's father actually is. And we're told that Gomer is going to bear three children for Hosea. And each child is going to symbolize the judgment of God. When the first child is born, God commands Hosea to name him Zezreel. Zezreel, if you know the history of Israel, Zezreel is the name of a town, a city's name. It carries a similar reputation as that of Auschwitz, right? If you think of Auschwitz, you think concentration camp. For Israelites, when they heard Zezreel, it reminded them of their history. Zezreel served the same purpose. It was a place of Israel's dark history of apostasy. Zezreel is a city in Israel where the apostasy under the previous king Ahab and his, and his queen Jezebel came to its fitting end. It was in Zezreel that Queen Jezebel was thrown from her windows and eaten by the dogs of the street in the drastic turn of God's punishment. So whenever Zezreel is mentioned, one must recall to mind how God would deal with the spiritual adultery, spiritual prostitution. So imagine you've been called as you walk to the market and you're calling to your child, Zezreel, Zezreel, and people just turn back and like, are you serious? Did you just mention that? And they shudder because of the history and the stories that are told that are associated with that name. But that's not the end. The second child is born and is called No Mercy, right? No Mercy is called No Mercy. And after this young girl was weaned, the third child was born. And the name was called You're Not My People. Not My People. And this is what Hosea's family represented. Marriage and children is to picture the current state of Israelites. They were in active apostasy, meaning they did not have regard for God. Hatred and disobedience against God was rampant. And even after repeated warning of time and time and time again, they fail. Hence, they are shown no mercy from God, and they ultimately concluded by a severed relationship where God declares, you are not my people. You are not my people, which will eventually lead to their destruction of being exiles at the hand of Assyrians. Oh, Church of Christ, this is the reality. This is a great warning of where you and I may be in our relationship with God this morning. Perhaps this is all not that familiar, unfamiliar for us. If you're honest, maybe, just maybe, this is a picture of your relationship with God. And if we let the Scripture speak and offend us, it may be indeed declaring that we have not disobeyed God's command. We are both in sin of commission, active sin against God, or we often say sin of omission, passive sin against God. And we have walked away often disregarded the very word of God that comes to us. And just like the Israelites, it may not be that you do not know what God is asking of you to do today. You simply decided not to obey. Or told God, hold up, God, I, I get it. I get what I'm called to do. This sounds all that great, but let me do what I do first. Perhaps this morning as you're sitting here, God is pressing on our hearts, reminding us of who he is, and we are at the mercy of God's judgment. We are declared unworthy, far from God, removed from God. Oh, Church of Christ, may I ask you, where are you this morning? As you hear the word of God that is preached to you, is your heart closer in relationship with the Lord or your heart 
prostituting with the worldly things away from the Lord. And that's the beginning of the story, isn't it? We often find ourselves chasing after life's comfort, chasing after the money that could bring us hope, we think, or even chasing after the dreams through our children and the things that they do and the hope that you have for them. All the while, you have put God on the back burner. The story is a warning of our wayward heart for us. Well, the story continues from then, of chapter 1 to chapter 2. Today, we're going to cover chapter 1 through 3. And the middle portion of the story becomes unthinkable, unimaginable response of Gomer. The story turns worse than what we see in verse chapter 1. When we get to Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, this is what happens. Their mother, it says, is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water. And sell myself to them for food and water and clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil and drinks. The marriage becomes worse than chapter 1. Not only is Gomer unfaithful while with Hosea, she finally decides, I had enough of this. I'm going to leave Hosea behind. And just as drastic as Gomer's action have been, now she leaves Hosea and her kids to pursue after her former way of life. And if unfaithful wife is worth deserting wife as to this in the story, now Hosea is left with three children, a call as a prophet to preach to God's people and the whole world of gossip that follows him after that. Imagine the back page of the news story of the day. Right? Or the side-eye glances of the people as the prophet is out at the market buying groceries for his children. Well, the prophet's wife is gone. Do you hear about that? Well, that's what he gets, right? I mean, he tells the people clean up, but he can't even clean up his own mess. What did he expect from someone like her? I knew from the get-go that he would leave him behind. So what's next for Hosea? Start over with his children? Does God tell them to go find more suitable mate? Seek out better life for himself? Start over, Hosea. Abandon her. She's lost hope. She's unfaithful and will be unfaithful. Is that what God tells her? No, isn't it? Hosea is actually not told not to forget and not to give up and not to leave her behind. Again, picturing God's heart for the Israelites. At this point, Gomer must have thought that her life is better away from being stuck at home with three children, a prophet husband who is constantly telling people what to do. She was lured by exotic foods and experiences. Perhaps she really thought the Instagram stories of the rich and famous, the successful, were just in her grasp. But as is often with those who follow this fleeting pleasures, it seems to go right at first, but soon it comes all crashing down. Gomer goes from man to man to finally someone who doesn't and who couldn't provide even the basic necessities for her to live. So what does she do? Right? She deserved what she got, right? But notice what Hosea does in the midst of knowing that Gomer is stuck with a man who does not regard for well-being. One of the commentators, Haddon Robinson, illustration, uh, illustrates uh, by this, he says, Gom, uh, Hosea now, not only 
continues to pursue after Gomer, but he now goes to the worthless man that Gomer is with. And now he gives him the money and says, will you provide for my wife? And gives money to him so that Gomer could be provided. Church, can you imagine if you're this worthless fellow that doesn't care about this woman, but her ex-husband comes and says, here is all the things that she needs. Can you provide for her? For her. And when you know what he does? He gladly accepts it and says, yeah, this is great. Free money at that. He goes out to indulge himself in what he wants and also brings home just enough food and necessities for Gomer to keep her straggling along all this time. And the scripture tells us, Gomer, of course, at the sight of just enough food and the clothing, thinks this is given to her by her new lover. All the while, it is Hosea who provides for Gomer without receiving any of the credit. The credit goes to her idolatrous lover. Hosea chapter 2, verse 8 says, She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil, I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. Again, illustrating Israel's idolatrous heart. A tragic, tragic story turns worse in chapter 2. Oh, foolish Gomer. How ignorant, how ungrateful, and how unfortunate is her story. Perhaps it is right for us to pity the heart of Hosea as we turn here. Oh, how often you and I are looking at Hosea's and our heart says, why would you do this? And forget, oftentimes Gomer's heart is our heart. It is often reflection of how we treat God, don't we? We often say with our lips, all oh, this belongs to the Lord. All the things that I have in my life, our children, or the wealth, God has provided, God is good, but how easily it is also for us to forget that all that we have, the food that we eat, the clothes that we have, friends and family we have, all that is provided in our lives is from the Lord. We often forget it is God who provides. It is God who is the creator and sustainer. It is God who entrusts us with his talents and treasures. Well, how often we focus on the gifts itself. We compare, we seek, we want more. We praise the wrong things, our work ethic, our privilege, our background. And to say, those things gave me all these things to reflect our idolatrous heart rather than looking at the gift giver who gives all these things to us. We so often easily give our praise away to our idols, church. How easily we doubt the goodness of the Lord. When things seem to go slightly wrong, of course, we shake our fist at God and say, don't you really love me? I thought you cared about me. All the while, we continuously offer ourselves, our bodies, after fleeting idols of the world. And the story that highlights our sin more than anything else, the fitting conclusion is that she does not realize it says in the Scripture. In other words, she did not know who it was no relationship with God who loves and cares for her. The story drives to much more bitter end for Gomer. As we could all expect it, the worthless fellow uses her, abuses her, and Hosea realizes he can't do anything to actually win her back. And that's what it says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 9. But now 
I'll take back the ripe grain and new wine. I generously provided each harvest season. I'll take away the wool and linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. Now, Hosea lets her be. And in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Let her sin, let her be in the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble, meaning let her be in her trouble and live in that. Church, as scary as it sounds, some of us may feel that we are about to head towards that, don't we? We do not deserve any of God's grace. Pastor, if you know what I've done, what I've done this week, if you only know, God will not forgive my sin. God will not let me come back to his presence. And that's where we hear the impossible end of the story, the impossible act of grace of God in Hosea chapter 3. When we get to chapter 3, near the end of the story, we find between Hosea and Gomer, we find Gomer at the end of the terrible, terrible tale. But God has another plan for her. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loved Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and loved and worshipped him. So, it says, I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. The story tells us that Gomer is passed back and forth between men to men to men, ultimately to a man who does not see any value in her ruined life, so he decides to sell her into slavery. The ancient slavery in Israelites was sold as animals and the means of the financial gain. The slaves were sold like this. These were happening all throughout the city and main city quarters. Secular historians tell us that women were often stripped naked and stood before the gaze of the crowd as she was auctioned off to the highest bidder. Perhaps this is a fitting end for Gomer, isn't she? Isn't it? She gets what she deserves. She is not only unfaithful, but she deserted her children. Ashamed, naked, for the world to see her for folly, her stupidity, her mistakes, her impurity, she's going to be sold as slaves and suffer consequences as a result of that. Imagine Gomer standing naked in the market square for the whole world to see, waiting her fate to be sold as a slave. And at that moment, she hears a familiar voice. They cried out, I'll take her. I'll take her. She's mine. She's mine. Take all my money. I'll take her. And he bids and bids until he wins the right to her ownership. How much, you say? It says 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. That's not a lot, actually. According to Exodus 21:32, female servant normally cost 30 shekels of silver. So Gomer is not even worth that much, it says here. And, for, and many commentators would also argue, for a prophet like Hosea, who is not rich by any means, and notice the way that he pays for Gomer. It's not all cash. He doesn't have all cash to offer her but food as a part of the transaction payment. You know what that shows us? That Hosea gave more than he had, all that he had, to just buy her back. Perhaps it may have cost 
not only his present but future earnings just to buy her back who once was his beloved. And this is where it gets more unthinkable, unimaginable, indelible act of grace. You see, when you buy someone back like that, you know, we often treat people like that too, right? Hosea had absolutely every right. After all, he bought a slave to treat her as her, his slave. But you know what Hosea does? Hosea doesn't buy her back as a slave to punish her. Rather, what we see is it is Hosea's heart that is demonstrated. He doesn't say, I told you so. I told you you're going to be like this. That's not what he says. Notice what he says to Gomer in chapter 3, uh, verse 3. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. He says, I bought you at a price. It costs all of me. You are again my beloved. You're not, no longer a prostitute. That's not what defines you. You're no longer an adulterous woman. That's not what defines you. You're not unfaithful, someone who deserts a family. That's not what defines you. You are once again my beloved. I want you to belong to me. You're mine. And get this, I believe the, the New Living Translation doesn't quite capture it. Because in original Hebrew, when Hosea does not actually tell Gomer, that he will not have a sexual relationship with her. Rather, what he says here and what captures it, and ESB does a better job of this, in chapter 3, verse 3, this is what he says. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. You heard that right. Hosea makes another marriage commitment, saying, I will also be be to you. I will belong to you regardless of where you are, adulterous or not. I will be faithful to you. You are my beloved. I declare that I am yours. O Church of Christ, this is the story of Gomer and Hosea, and this is the gospel story. Hosea's story, all that he does, the length that he's willing to go to show Gomer, his broken beloved, and chasing after him, her, is captured in Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. Oh, Church of Christ, this is our story. The gospel, Christ, who loves you, who loves you, who loves you, who will not leave you in your prostitution of idolatrous heart, whether he chases after you, gives all that he has with his son dying on the cross to just buy you back so you'll be able to call our Heavenly Father, my husband, or the Lord, my husband, instead, my master. This is the gospel story. This is the testimony of those who follow after Christ. You know, my son often calls out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And whenever he calls, I run to him. I run to him. Sometimes it's really important. He says, come and look at what I drew for you. Stick figures. I'm like, wow, that's great. Sometimes it's really necessary. Help me put on my shoes. And I run to him. And sometimes downright silly. Look at this piece of lint I found. It's so interesting. Right? But one of the most desperate times, especially when he was young, when he called out, Daddy, daddy, was when he pooped, right? He's like, wipe my butt. Like, daddy, daddy, what? I threw up all over the place. Clean that up, you know? 
oh boy, but when those moments happen, I run, run, run faster than anything else, whether he's afraid of the bug or the dark or he's in ruins or he's in full of filth. Daddy runs and runs and runs. It's messy. It's dirty. And oh boy, he smells at times. And then sometimes I find them downright fearful, shaking, but I embrace him. Even if he gets my hands dirty, I run, I run, I run towards my son. The story of Hosea tells us that our God runs after us. Even in the puddles of our sin and failure, even when we feel like God is so far away from us, Our Heavenly Father runs and runs and runs and ultimately buys us back by the blood of Christ and does not treat us like slaves, but invites us and says, you are my son and daughter, my fellow heir. Call me your husband. Be mine as I am yours. O Church of Christ, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we pray for that as we come to know you. For those who profess our faith in the Lord, this is our story. This is the story of the gospel that invites us to surrender our lives, to know him, to know who he is and the sacrifice he has made on the cross for us. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for this table. Christ, let me pray. Amen.